Hello and welcome to Respectfully, a hairy conversation for professional hairdressers everywhere, whatever your age and stage and experience. Respectfully is brought to you by me, Nikki Pope, your host. It's my job to introduce you to a wide range of guests from the hair and beauty industry and entertain you with interviews, comment and inspiration. For this episode, I'm sharing a conversation with two powerhouses of colour expertise. Jack Howard is an international name with a massive following on Instagram for his balayage work in particular. 230,000 followers at the last peak, I think. Demanding and discerning clients alike flock to see Jack. He has recently relocated from London to Washington DC, but retains a high profile in Europe and we'll see him back at Colour World in May this year, among other events. John Spanton has a massive body of experience in education on both a national and international level, leading education conferences and having worked on shows and seminars with audiences of up to 3,000. Today, John is based in London, where he is master colourist at Angelo Seminara's Salon and works closely with Angelo himself on colour results that are truly genius. Welcome, hello, greetings. John Spanton and Jack Howard. And it's so good to see you both anyway. I'm very well. Nice to see you. And we are chatting to each other in different continents today. So Jack, you've joined us from Washington. Yeah, I've got a glorious sunny day here, so I'm quite happy. He said smugly. (laughs) John, you and me, I think we got the grey, the grey straw this time. We, we, we definitely got the grey straw, I think. Um, but it is London, so, and it's February. Yeah. What do you expect? What do you expect? Well, we expect Jack to deliver us some, some sunshine and bright comments then to, to pull us out of our gloom, I'm sure. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll bring in the grey measurable one. But... <laughs> well, you are Scottish, so I suppose you're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you, you both do have the advantage of being in one of the best cities in the world. So, you know, That's, kudos to you both on that true. one. So, Jack, are you homesick? You moved out to Washington before Christmas. Um, I know you have lived and worked in the States before, but then we'd had you in London for quite some time. I think you were based in London for work and home. Nearly 12 years, so. Wow. wow. Yeah. Homesick, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it was... I hadn't really quite prepared myself for the chaos that comes with these big moves, right? So it's not just moving city, it's moving countries and then in a pandemic as well. So nothing's really open here in in many ways. There's still mask mandates, there's still, you know, limited seating in restaurants and all that stuff. But for the first six months, I really got knocked for six on it. And I just feel like I've come out from under a rock. Now, before John says anything to that... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you mean. I just, I just know you, and I, I but I just feel like the 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 weight has been lifted, and I feel like okay. And I mean, I had spent some time back in Europe, in London, and in Europe in September and October, and that I think that actually made the move more difficult because as I was hankering for to be home, I was also you know, doing stuff and not being in the States and not getting adjusted to it. And so I just feel like it's it's just clicked. But I could be wrong. Yeah. It could just be the, the last couple of weeks. So just in a nutshell, what's your setup? Do you have a salon? Do you have a partnership? Are you seeing clients? Are you looking at education? Where, where What's your sort of setup, if you like, work-wise? I, I think it's pretty similar to what it was in London. So I'm, I'm working out of a salon in DC and it's a very different environment to London. I'm still working out of Paul Edmonds in London three, four times a year 
and I'm representing, I've just signed a, a new contract, so I'm rep representing a brand yeah. and I'm also still delivering Instagram and education as well. So I'm doing like three days in the salon and then although I promised myself it would only be two days filming, it's sort of leaked into every day. Yeah, as, as hairdressing is wont to do. Yes. John, you have also made a move since we last chatted to you on Respectfully, but maybe not quite so far, but equally exciting. And I think you've just crossed over to, to West London and joined Angelo's Seminara. I have, yeah. So uh, as of, uh, I left Trevor Sorby after uh, 17 and a half years. And then I started uh, with Angelo and his new salon in Knightsbridge. It's it's four stops in the tube. It's not the biggest journey, not quite quite um, Jack's level of kind of adjustment. Um, but but it's, it's a bit of a different part of London from Covent Garden. Well, it is. And what about the mindset though? Has there been a big mindset change in in moving? Um, yeah, I mean, it's in a way it's kind of been liberating. I mean, it's 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 a smaller salon that Angelo has um, that than. Uh, the Covent Garden salon where I was based at Trevor Sorby. Um, and the vast majority of people are self-employed, um, whereas almost exclusively everyone was employed at Trevor Sorby. Uh, so it's a very different culture. Yeah. Um, people are kind of setting their own hours, their own days. So I think people kind of get bogged down and work a little bit less. Yeah. Um, and although I'm employed by Angelo, uh, it kind of feels quite liberating to be around that. Yeah. Um, how how significant is it that you and Angelo both have the Trevor Sorby heritage? I think you probably actually worked together, didn't you? We did. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we both worked for Trevor uh, at the same time for about six or seven years. So. Um, yeah. But now, and now do you find that that informs the relationship you have now, this sort of fact that you had known each other and worked alongside each other to some degree in the past or has this been a real fresh new beginning i think i'm, I'm very relaxed around angelo and i think uh, some people find it a little bit difficult to be relaxed around angelo because he's angelo yeah um and and you know, he's, he's great he's brilliant um but he's also a human being and he's great fun and he's kind of warm and, and kind and sweet and uh he's also demanding um exacting uh is all the kind of things you'd expect for someone who's kind of considered a genius widely so that's interesting the the way you've perhaps sort of described somebody working jack how do you describe yourself your sort of modus operandi and, and perhaps even your signature style of, of color work I, first i think i'm just really super super commercial and i always have been right I, i've always my my background has been always been behind a chair and so it's still important for me to do clients to kind of have a feeling about what's going on on the high street um and i think that's where i found a niche in the uk that i wasn't trying to be i wasn't trying to be and i would have failed miserably at being a super creative um or a artistic in in that sort of hairdressing sense and that i sort of stayed my path and it's it's just worked really well for me i mean i just like really commercial hair. I like hair on clients that looks like it's in a Zara campaign or something like that. I, I think I think that relevancy is important for a lot of women. Um, I mean, your clients are very sort of demanding and discerning. I think some of the ones that we, we are aware of. So you must have to have a degree of um, 
tolerance that goes with that? I think the tolerance comes with age, right? And the confidence in yourself and what you're doing and the ability to be able to say to a, a co-worker, I don't know how to do this or how would you do this and, and to reach out. And to also say to somebody, I'm not the right person for you. But that, that certainly comes yeah. with age. Oh, oh, I just wanted to say that when John was talking, I was just struck by the 17 years with one company and the moving forward is a monumental move and must have been an emotional roller coaster because there's the excitement of going to something new, as I know. But then there's also the loss of something, even if you weren't happy anymore, there's this loss, isn't it? It's like a marriage, a, a relationship. So well done, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was a big thing. I mean, I had um, very unfortunately a, a, quite a, a horrific sort of personal tragedy in my family two days before I left River Sorby, and it kind of put changing jobs into perspective a little bit. Mm. So it kind of took the potential kind of horrors of moving jobs and, and that lack of continuity that you have in your day-to-day sort of week-to-week life. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, the, the run up to it was, was, I got very anxious about changing and it's the kind of the devil you know, yeah. um, whether it's right for you or not anymore, um, you kind of, you're comfortable, aren't you? Yeah. Um, mm. and, and, and change is often uncomfortable. It is, but I suppose that's the good side of it, is it may, otherwise we'd change too often, too quick, too much, you know, we wouldn't perhaps consider what we're doing enough, so perhaps that's the part of it. That's a great way to put it, Nikki, because everyone always focuses on change is good, but it's like too much change isn't good either. No, exactly. I think it's exhausting. It can be emotionally exhausting, yeah. um, if nothing else. So, John, as... as much as Jack is focused on what he describes as the sort of commercial wearable salon client type hair, I think of you as doing very sort of intricate pattern, um, graphic, artistic hair. Like like Jack, I'm I'm a behind the chair colourist. I uh, the the work that I do on a day to day basis is work that's walking the street, um, and it doesn't have stripy bits or. or chessboard patterns or whatever it's it's uh a lot of balayage uh like jack uh, a lot of foiling a lot of global applications um the the hair that that kind of on a day-to-day basis that kind of uh, i really like is that really touchable feminine um just a glossy shiny mm. Um, hair that makes you want to get your hands in it, mm. um, kind of hair, uh, hair that everyone wants to wear, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but then I'm also in, in the same vein. I'm also sort of very interested in um, hair as a fabric, hair as an art form, hair as a a a, 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 no, a a medium in which you kind of can put something else onto it that is either optical or it gives you an illusion um, or just not not day wear not uh, not but I've always been interested in that yeah. I'm, I'm I'm interested in the people that do it which is one of the things that's always drawn me towards the people that I work for like Trevor and Angelo and and, um, and then you look at other people who like Guido um, I love what Guido does but he does 
effectively kind of wearable hair, but it's either on quite an odd looking girl or it's it's an odd shape or um yeah, so he kind of pushes it a slightly different way. So the aesthetic of it is is yeah. is always interesting. Because I want to know how to do it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. He some of those guys, Guido and, and um some of the others, it's like they don't throw the kitchen sink at a head of hair, but they throw something interesting at it. You know, there's there's an aspect to it. It's just the proportion that is intriguing or the texture that it's not it's not fully avant-garde, which is very very um, detailed. And you always see that trickle down very slowly, when, especially when they do the fashion weeks. It might not be the next season or the season after, but you see it, the, a nuance trickle into the high street. You always do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's like, it's trying to figure out which piece of it is. Yeah, which is the bit that will go with it. How much do you both, or how much are you each interested in a technology behind colour? Um, I actually think I'm a feeling kind of person. Uh, I'm not a geek in that sense. And I rely on my geeky friends who are sort of into all the technology and stuff. Um, I like the technology if it works, but quite often I feel that R&D is built a product around a technology rather than built a product and, and use technology in it. Um, do you know what I mean? So there is sort of this push and this hype. And, um, and I, I don't get that. I don't like that. No. John? I kind of like understanding the technology because then I kind of feel when I get a new box of toys, a new colour range, whatever, and I've, like Jack, is, is returned to a brand, I'm kind of using a brand that I've not used in maybe 30 years. That's like Goldwell, you're with... We're with Goldwell, yeah. And, and um, when I was at Trevor Sorby, we worked for um, different companies abroad when you're going to do seminars and courses and so on and sometimes you're kind of stuck with what they have to use or what they have locally um and it's not always as much fun um <laughs> as people might think, <laughs> think but yeah. having said that so kind of when I, I when i get my hands on i also understand the product i feel more confident than working with it pushing it a bit more um playing around with it um from formulations to kind of uh mixing it up wrong almost yeah. um so that you can kind of get a result that is not intended by the manufacturer but works for you as a colorist yeah yeah um and all those things but i'm more comfortable doing that when i know the geeky stuff as well i think it's i think for me the community of peers uh, is important for me when i'm working with a new brand and you know to switch brands is is hard if you if something's part of your dna um but i rely upon what other hairdressers saying and their experiences with it rather than necessarily the manufacturer's sales pitch on it because yeah, yeah. you know i think that I, I trust not that i don't trust the manufacturer but i trust my peers and their opinions and what's happened to them and how they feel and find it much more so along with what I'm doing with the product rather than the, the pamphlet that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. So I know that you two are friends, um, apart from joining each other on podcasts. Do you have geeky, colour nerd conversations with each other about, you know, what you're doing or what you're trying? Um, <laughs> or is it all a, a guarded secret? I'm not going to tell Jack what I'm up to. Well, that, that John's not, not going to find out. No, no. No, Jack knew that I was ready to leave Trevor Sorby before 
uh, a lot of other people, probably one of the first people in the industry that knew that I, I was ready yeah. to kind of move on. Um, we take we don't talk a ton. We talk about the industry rather than than the geek. Yeah, I, we take p- the piss out of each other basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think I think John takes the Mickey out of me more than um, anyone else in the world. I, I think that maybe we can sort of, we can pick up the phone. We know that that's there, and there can be the messages and stuff like that. But do we do the geeks conversations? No, I don't think we do. We do more about feelings. What's going on? You know, what are you doing? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What do you see? But you know how we met, right? We met in Brixton Academy. I, I was trying to figure this out. And I think it was Brixton Academy at a Redkin Ready event. And I met John there through Graham Crook. And I don't know where Graham is now. Is it he's with Goldwell? Ca- he's with Goldwell. Uh, That's yeah, right. Yeah. He's with Goldwell. And he was at LP. I wasn't with anybody. And that's where I first met John. So we, we, we did actually yeah. spoken on Twitter when I was uh, in Manchester, running Trevor Sorby in Manchester, um, because the, the, the king of Balayage had, had uh, landed on the shores. <laughs> well, so why do you get on then? What, what is it do you think that, you, that, um, that makes you two click? Is it, what is it, the sense of humour, I'm guessing? Same sort of age. Um, Same, yeah. I'm a younger, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, but he's prettier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I know. And he's also lying as well, Nicky. He's older than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're um, getting to it. I think it's a, we've been in the industry. We've been around the block a bit. We've got a very. We've got quite a similar sense of humour. Um, I think there's a mutual respect uh, for each other's work. Um, I. Uh, I'm really fond of Jack. I think Jack's a really lovely, warm, kind, uh, thoughtful person. Um, and I think that, but I think because Jack is quite on a pedestal in the industry, I think um, Jack is is um, the king of Balkash for the, for the UK. He's, he's, he's been a very influential figure in British. Um, Jack, you're one of the forerunners, really, of using social media to such um, such good effect to, I know you educate, you do the podcast, the conversations, and you've kind of helped a lot of people see the possibility, I think. So as well as using it, you know, to promote mm. your business, I think you've been very educational. Yeah, I, I love, so thanks very much for saying all those kind things about me, John. Um, I'll pay you later. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I adore John because I think he's got a great sense of humour and we get each other and we don't take each other too seriously. So when we're together, we can rib each other and nobody takes offence. And there's, we're not really sort of look at me, look at me, look at me types. And I enjoy that. And I respect his work uh, across the spectrum. I think he's navigated the create, super creative and the commercially, and he leads that path very well. And very few people do that. Um, tons of respect for him. But as for me, social when I first got back to the UK was, it was Twitter. And it was like, how do I meet people? How do I, you know, nobody knew me. I was an unknown, unknown quantity. Um, I could have been a has-been. And so sort of Twitter helped me do that. And then Instagram helped me sort of, you know, push it out there a bit, to be honest. But social really didn't happen for me hugely until 2017. 
Um, I mean, that's a long time ago now, I suppose five years, yeah. right? Gosh. And like John, I have a very strong product manufacturer, business education background and that I can deliver. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the influencers that were in the room were great influencers and great at doing it on their own, but could they actually deliver it the way the product company wants it? And so that navigate, I realized that I needed to navigate that path and find myself in it. And, it's, and it really wasn't until COVID that things really went for me. Yeah, really exploded. Talking about that, that time, in the last couple of years, um, obviously it's in such an interesting phenomenon that it's a, a global experience um, of having salons closed and not being able to work and not being able to share. How much, is it, is it possible to say how much you have loved or despaired at what you've seen out there on the colour, in the colour world, um, hairdressing-wise? I, I mean, I, I'm definitely much more uh, voyeuristic on Instagram than uh participating in it, if that makes sense. I've kind of started to get a little bit better. I mean, the thing that kind of worried me was uh, on the internet now, you, you your past never really leaves you anymore. Um, so you say something, you do something, um, and it felt like there was quite a lot of people doing work educationally, uh, try to push themselves, and it seems like everyone wants to be an educator. Um, that they were doing some stuff on there that they maybe weren't as skilled as they maybe could have been. Uh, the presentation skills weren't as strong as they maybe could have been. Um, and rather than kind of doing private sessions with friends or whatever in the way that maybe I would have done pre-internet, um, that you're kind of doing it publicly and I think it's also that first impression you're giving everyone and some people will some people will kind of gain the kind of the, the tilty head or oh, aren't they do it trying really hard other people won't just based yeah. on the personality of the person presenting and also the person listening but I think that first impression that you give um in a public forum is is quite important and I think that's maybe some people were given the first impression before they were really ready to. Yeah. Um, but coming out of that um, as well, I think we've also had such a lot of amazing people. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to kind of uh, name a few, if, if you don't mind. Um, Marlon Hawkins. Not doing a lot of work on presenting social and social doing lives. They did, they set up uh, Brooks and Brooks Education. The work that he was producing um, during lockdown was beautiful. Mm. He won uh, one of the big one awards. He He became artistic director at Brooks and Brooks, a position that only Sally has ever held before. Um, Then you've got Harriet Stokes. Great girl, great educator, beautiful colorist. Mm comes from quite a strong background and sort of went out on her own at the point of coming back from the first lockdown. And her and humankind hair are really sort of taken off really well. But the, the, there's a few others, James Masters, um, all these kind of people that kind of five years ago weren't really kind of heard of in the industry as yeah. much. Mm. To watch, I love watching people do what they do well. Yeah. I think um, I think it has allowed some people to really come through. Jack, I know you and I have talked about this sometimes. And... Um, you know, I love it all, really. If you think about, if I think about the first time I went on stage um, 
for a manufacturer, I mean, it was absolutely dire, right? I mean, I could hardly hold a room of six people and I wanted to wet myself. I mean, the absolute panic and the dry mouth and all of that. But in those days, you sort of did that and then you do another one and then maybe there was a, a silk scarf over a box with a product on top of it. And you kind of did that and you got and you found your strength. But when Instagram came, there were, especially in the USA, there, were the, there was very few big names in the UK at the time. There were all these people that were just, had hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, 80,000 followers, 100,000 followers, two, three, four. And they were doing education and they were doing it. And it was really unlike anything a brand had done. Um, because the brand stuff is super polished and it's like super, super smart. And it spoke to a different type of hairdresser. It spoke to maybe a lot of hairdressers that had never really been spoken to by a brand before. And then COVID came and I mean, if you look back on my, my Instagram, and you look at my first live on my own without a crew, right? Suddenly I've got no crew, no lighting. I'm in a kitchen in, in my little house in Fulham and I've got a ring light on me and it's terrible. But you learn. And I think a lot of these people, a lot of young people, a lot of hairdressers thought, well, what else am I going to do? I want, I want to be. So it's aspirational. I want to be an influencer. I want to be an educator. I want to give back to my community and people had a go and some of it was great and some of it was absolutely terrible but you have to hold it from the perspective of what were you like when you first started out and it's a different way of doing it yeah but but John spoke about what you do in your background now I don't know I don't think I've talked about this publicly but I for signing my new contract in the USA they do a deep dive of your social media with their lawyers and with this company and to make sure that your brand values match their brand values. And so I think people really need to be careful about what they're doing online. I mean, I've got one little Insta, uh, private Facebook account with a couple of friends on it, you know, and some aged aunt, but the rest of mine's all public. And I was like, oh my God, you know, 12 years ago, what did I tweet? I can't remember, do you know what I mean? Maybe. A, so it was like, I was like, oh, what's that going to look like? And I think that we are in an age now where all of that's important. Mm. The brands don't just want to pump you. You've got to pump yourself. You have to be present. And you don't need the big numbers necessarily. What you need is a highly engaged audience. Um, but for me, I, I sort of, I, it gives me lots of hope because I think that it is such hard work that the dedicated like the Marlins in the world and the Harriets are going to grow and blossom. And then the ones that think, oh, I'm going to have a go and then don't like it and don't want to build from that experience are going to disappear. And we've talked about this, Nikki. It's sort of very saturated at the moment, yeah. but it's going to trickle down and you're going yeah. to see it slightly differently. I think it self-sorts in some way. You know, sometimes yes. it's hard to believe it's going to, but it, it generally does. If you wait long enough, it, it, it kind of figures itself out. And it's not, I th- I th- not easy. I think that's a big thing, though, isn't it? It's, it's um, that kind of Insta-famous thing that, that people crave. Um, and the ones with skill, talent and drive uh, and want longevity rather than that kind of instant hit that they kind of trade off for, forever. Um, well, that's where the, the comedy, the comedy skits have all gone wrong, isn't it? The whole yeah. the comedy, the taking the piss out of the client... I mean, who does that, right? I mean, that's a sort of a staff room conversation. Suddenly it's all public. And the the being, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a joke. I just personally don't think that's an Instagram account for 
the industry. I think it's a, it's a private Facebook group kind of thing for me. So what are we seeing coming through? So let's move on to what you each see, and I'm sure it'll be different coming from, from different people in different parts of the world even. What are the sort of motifs, the interests, the directions for colour in hair work going forward? I think, I think you've kind of got a bit of kind of either end of the, the, the market. I think people um, are wanting sort of very organic looking colour. Um, so balayage, um, barely there sort of highlights. Um, sort of super organic, I think, is, is probably a, a good way to think of it. And for people that maybe have <coughs> grown their colour out, um, I think that that'll kind of bring them back into the fold. Um, then I think the other end you've got is kind of uh, maybe not the vivids in, in quite the, the kind of most obvious way, but kind of pastels and so on, which have been around for a little while. But I think the audience kind of reach is probably changing slightly. You've got people who, who want maybe to have a little bit of fun with the colour that maybe wouldn't have considered it five years ago. So post-pandemic, sort of lockdown, hidden away, there's a kind of, um, oh, why not? I was going to swear there, but <laughs> <laughs> that kind of, like, to hell with it kind of attitude. Um, I think so. I think there's an element of fun, kind of fun here colour, but maybe not full-on kind of vivids and so on, um, which... <clears throat> I don't hate, but from an all-over vivid kind of point of view, um, it's not for everyone, but then sort of little pastel panels and things like that, I think you're kind of... Uh, the audience reach for that, I think, is now broader. Uh, because I think people also understand that it's not forever. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think the, the, the bigger thing, um, I think, is going to be... Um, kind of super organic people want to feel natural kind of real um believable yeah uh for, for the majority of it with the odd little bit of fun kind of thrown in here and, and there jack what do you see i think out of the pandemic with and especially in the uk right where we were locked up for what feels like an eternity but it was eight nine months i think that i think that Things around not necessarily complete coverage, but grey blending is a huge conversation to be talked about. And there's also, there is definitely a conversation about inclusivity and about diversity. And inclusivity also includes women in their 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s, which we've not really seen on Instagram. We don't really see in the magazines a lot. We still see a lot of young people. And so I think there is a, a, a bigger audience of people that want to be relevant and want to be seen. And I think it's super important that we as an industry move forward with that and carry on um, offering that kind of feeling to women and men um, rather than just focusing on the young. And I think haircuts are huge at the moment. I'm just seeing so many, so much more willingness to have a shorter haircut, to try something a little bit different rather than that, just that long haired thing that's been around with us for forever. Yeah. And so, you, you know, when John talks about painting, balayage and stuff, I think you, you can see it more as not just an overall Instagram image that was so big at one point, but, you know, nice soft pieces, you know, running through the hair, sort of blending in the grey hair rather than covering it up 100%. Um, 
I mean, I think that it's all very hopeful and very modern out there. I think that more people are willing to take risks and chances we, after being locked up for so which long. Which is good to hear, because I was going to ask each of you, um, you know, do you think colour's in trouble? Because there's this sort of worry in the industry that people are leaving it longer between services, that people that have grown out their colour aren't going to want to reinstate it, that people are embracing grey, or do you think that's that's not a founded concern there's always a worry by the big brands in color and i'm not talking about the hair the the necessary the product companies but the, the the chains and stuff because they're very slow to adapt in many ways and i think personally you know it was balayage was going to kill them right because nobody could do it yeah and nobody took the time to do it so they were all doing foils but you have to move forward we have to keep moving forward and looking about delivering what the public want right rather than what we know and want and a lot of women don't want opaque coverage. And if you go to a hairdresser and they pull out one tube of colour, and I've said this my whole life, and slap it on your head, you might as well pick up one box of colour from Boots, right? So, you know, making sure that, that it's more tailored and that it's picked out for that person in front of you, that's where the money's going to be. Not in the, you know, every 15 minutes, every half an hour, boom, 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 boom. That's what I think. Yeah. John? What's your I, mean, I, th- I think um, I, I, I agree with Jack. I mean, I think that, that sort of personalised approach. I mean, um, there's another very interesting young guy in, in Ireland, um, Connor um, Doyle. Um, yes. Who's just leaving the salon, actually, to go education full-time, his own education full-time. <clears throat> and I think before COVID, he had probably, like, 3,000 followers. Um, and he's now going freelance as an educator. But I think one of the things that he said is why, why is hair colour getting more expensive when there's all these things to consider? And, and he kind of talks about, are you baby lighting here, leaving a, a shadow here, are you kind of doing a freehand something there? That I think that kind of element of considered work um, is probably more relevant now than it's ever been. But if you're going in and you're just thinking, oh, she wants highlights and you just stack up a load of foils and nothing else, then you're, you are going to be left behind. If you're just doing a technically perfect tint and you're not questioning that or looking at other options on it, then you're going to be left behind. You need to be kind of thinking about what modern colouring is. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and like Jack says, is that kind of working with some grey maybe for some people post... Um, lockdown with maybe not wanting to be tied to kind of a four six weeks at a cycle of having yeah. the roots done um but having said that though the clients that do like a, a kind of a global color application a few of them did uh, after the first lockdown come back kind of and think oh well do you know maybe stretch it to five weeks i could cope with it for four months i can cope with it for five instead of four or six instead of five Actually, since the 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 last lockdown, um, when we came back in April last year, um, I think clients have some clients certainly returned to form. Have um, they? Yeah. Because I think they kind of they're enjoying the sort of freedom of choice, and that I can get my hair coloured every four weeks if I want to, and I will. Um, yes, and what you need is a technician that can look after you in those choices. And, sh- yeah. and guide you, right? That's that's what we should be doing behind the chair, guiding people in the direction and helping them make the choices that are right for them rather than just say it's a tin, it's a set of highlights, blah, blah, blah. 
Guys, Colour World is back live in May this year in London. This is going to be the fifth, I think, live event. We've had to do it um, as a TV event the last couple of years. You're both fantastic supporters. Um, I think I'm right in saying I'm going to see you both at Colour World. Or I hope, yeah, I, I hope so. I, <laughs> my, I have planned my, my life around this, this <laughs> in that month. So, yeah, I'm going to be there, Johnny. Auntie yeah. Jackie's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> Trailing his mink behind him. Yes, absolutely. Um. <laughs> well, I think no, and obviously, John. You know, you're part of the part of the setup as far as I'm concerned. So, what what may I presume to ask you? What might you be looking forward to seeing, either doing yourselves, but also seeing? What would you like to see people doing at Colour World? You're both sort of elder statesmen of of the colour industry. What would you? Hope to see people do. <laughs> Jack Howard, the Boris Johnson of hair. <laughs> How very dare you! <laughs> um, now, do you know what? For me, I, I think one of the things is, is the, the definitely the social side of it. Um, so the social element of uh, Colour World with uh, a room full of colourists rather than it being styling led. Yeah. Um, because colour is such a force in the industry now, uh, in a way that uh, it never has been in the past, um, and the, the, but actually, it's it's not necessarily watching the hair. Uh, I always love to be surprised to see something I've never seen before, um, either the way it looks or how they do it. But it's kind of uh, the thing that I really enjoy about live events and online events is is watching how people present, how they do what they do, uh, the mannerisms, the, the, the elements of personality, um, whether they're jokey, whether they're charming, whether they're sweet, whether they're kind of strong. Uh, that part of it is something I enjoy watching because I think you pick up things from different people. Yeah. Um, and I, I spoke to Jack about this uh, probably about around Colour World last year. That... Uh, one of the things that I think Jack does brilliantly well is that he talks about uh, balayage. And balayage can often be uh, a repetitive motion. You're kind of doing a different section uh, and you're taking up one section. But one of the things that Jack does brilliantly well is that he, when he discusses how he's painted each section, although he may have said something very similar two or three minutes before, he says it with the same enthusiasm every time he does that next section. So you don't think that you're watching something repetitive. You don't. You you're in no way at all bored by it, um, because he's as passionate about that section as he was about the previous one, and will be as passionate about the next section. Yeah. Uh, although theoretically the motions are the same or very similar, um, and when I dawned on me how Jack did that, it was quite a revelation because. I've always had a bit of a fear of presenting something like a highlighting technique, which is often repeat, 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 because I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting bored. Mm. So it's a mindset thing that Jack handles very well. So those things are, are the things I really like um, to watch, is uh, uh, how people do what they do. And obviously having a laugh at Jack's expense, always enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can provide that opportunity for you, John. <laughs> I provide it myself, right? I mean, just by, by, just by getting up, it's there. I, I'm 
super, I'm always super excited to see my mates, right? It's always nice to see everyone because you very rarely get time to see everyone in, in the world. But what I love, I love the room with the mixture of talent, with the young talent in there and maybe some more seasoned artists and the way in which the, you can go around the room and watch people doing things. And you, and you know, if you go more than once, you see, you see people grow. And I love, I do love the young people in our industry because they, they are the future of it, right? I mean, as I tail towards the end of my career, there are lots of people that are starting out and it's wonderful to see them. And so, you know, sometimes they ask for some advice and sometimes you, like John says, you see something, you're like, wow, I can add that to my repertoire, that's amazing. And I love to see how they, they feel about colour, right? Because, you know, colour is very much a feeling to me. And it's, and sometimes the way they look doesn't match what I think is going to be how they do it. And it's just, it's really interesting. I love the chats and the convos, but I love that room where it's all, where the, the colour work is going on, the nitty gritty. Yeah. And it's, and seeing the whole thing, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, all on the level. I think that's the thing. You use the word party, John, and that's really the, the vibe it's like a big house party for colorists where yeah, you know yeah. you can just wander around from kitchen to bathroom to bedroom to garden and back again through the dining room sort of thing you'll be discovering people creating and sharing and 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 inspiring each other which is really i, I really i really enjoy the, the 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 genius panels as well i mean i, I initially yes. kind of was a guest on the genius panels um, and then the last couple of years I've hosted a couple and I'm surprised for someone who uh, talks as much as I do that um, how much I enjoyed hosting it. Yeah. Um, so you're not doing as much of the chatting, um, but I, I really enjoyed the hosting of it um, because you get to see people, I and mean, there was a couple of people that I've had to kind of look up their Instagram um, that have been in the, the, the Genius Panels. And then there's other people like uh, like Zoe Irwin, um, who is very accomplished and, and is, is um, very eloquent, um, sort of sitting in them. And they're kind of sat next to each other and, and they're kind of uh, comparing. That, that I, I really enjoy um, a lot. I, um, it's you that puts the uh, panels together, Nikki, of course. And I think that there's this clever... Like John said, this clever mix going on at, at, at each panel, and I found them really enjoyable because, I, and I hosting them is brilliant because you can actually slide in a question you've been <laughs> desperate to ask somebody and kind of get their get their feeling on it. So it, that's so it's so interesting. I think it's interesting to sort of put not necessarily the obvious combinations of people together, and I also think you know they're conversations about the industry rather than just tell me about yourself if you like and I think that that's where sometimes you assume you know what somebody thinks about something and then they bring something completely different out as a yeah. conversation so I think that's really really interesting. Despite your claims to advancing years and declining towards the end of your careers which I, I greet with wry amusement because it's not true what have you each sort of set your heart on achieving next or, or before you you hang up your your paintbrushes for me well for me i mean you know i'm in a brand new market and um which is the usa and i really want to do some personally what i think are really good things with my brand here um in the usa so that is really important to me as well as maintaining my english heritage by being back in the uk and doing stuff there um but i also think a lot more i i enjoy the mentoring process and i enjoy 
I really do enjoy that. And it's a, a great feeling to see somebody that you've mentored do, do really well at that point in their life and then go off and, you know, not bother texting you or calling you every so often anymore because they're living their life, right? Like it's like a kid leaving home. Yeah. And I enjoy that. Um, so I want to do more of that. So I want to do more of the mentoring. And then there's this, I don't know how many states are in America. I'm probably going to say this <laughs> wrong. What is it, 50, 51? There's a lot of states, right? And um, yeah. I, I, I want to, I want to do well. I want to do well over here, whatever that looks like. Brilliant. I'm sure you will. John, what's, what's on your to-do list, if you like? <laughs> what's... Um, the, I suppose the to-do list is just about kind of enjoying it, I think. Mm. Um, I maybe found I was beginning to get a bit bogged down um, before um, with things that I didn't need to get bogged down with. Um, the mentoring, like Jack, I absolutely love. It satisfies very much a sort of fathery kind of-ness in me. Um, I, I Shall I start calling you daddy? <laughs> oh, oh, I don't and, know, that and, sounds and, slightly and, wrong actually, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy and Auntie Jack. Um, yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to travel again, which seems like it's on the, the, the horizon. Education for me has always been such a big thing, having worked for a manufacturer before, being uh, head of the colour education for Trevor Sorby uh, in the past. Education is a, a big thing, doing seminars, shows, those sort of things, the industry stuff. Um, I I enjoy the online, I prefer an online conversation than online here, personally. You think, oh, how did I do that? Mm. Um, but it's but people, no, it's, you it's, miss the people. It's, it's the people, it's, it, yeah, I, I like the industry, I like the, the people in the industry, and that kind of enthusiasm you get, that people who give up the, the Sunday evening and go and see a hair show, um, being around them um, is, is inspiring. It's kind of motivational in a way that I don't think you can get any other way. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you both so much for joining us. It's such a, an intriguing conversation and, and hopefully you will come back um, again on the airways and we can, we can carry it on. But thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you in person in May in London. And good luck with your Thank you very ventures. much. Thanks so much for having having me, Nikki, and I look forward to seeing you both in person very soon. Yes, me too. Thanks, Auntie Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Okay, I'm, cu- I'm cutting that now. Cut Bye. 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 Okay. <laughs>Thank you to my guests, John Spanton and Jack Howard. What a lovely, colourful conversation. If you enjoyed listening to us, why not hop over to the iTunes library and browse our catalogue of great hairdressing conversations. If you'd like to join us at Colour World, please visit the show notes and we will provide a link for buying tickets. The event takes place on the 22nd and 23rd of May in London. And of course, don't forget to rate and review us on whichever platform you use for your podcasts as it helps drive us up the charts and makes us easier to find. I'm Nikki Pope. Thank you very much. Until next time.